comes into town, and he's knocking door to door. Inside's a woman named Martha who lives there with her sister, a woman named Mary. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but a woman named Mary Magdalene. Jesus, the man standing at the door, is a bit of a controversial figure. Some have welcomed him in, and others have flatly turned him and his people away out of fear. But this woman, Martha, she invites him in. She takes the risk and welcomes this stranger of ill repute into her home. In the Bible, the practice of hospitality, welcoming an unknown stranger and preparing a meal for them, is a big deal. In Genesis chapter 18, three strangers show up at the tent of Abraham and Sarah. This is, way, this is like at the beginning of the story. When Abraham and Sarah see these three strangers coming, they rush out to them, they offer to wash their feet, bring them bread, serve them their finest veal, not just, you know, ground beef, but veal, all under a nice shady place to rest. Soon we discover that in accommodating these guests, Abraham was actually hosting the Lord, God. In providing an extravagant welcome to these three strangers, they extravagantly welcomed God. It's the same reason why we try our best to offer a similar welcome at St. George's. No questions asked. So Mary is just carrying on the tradition. She's working diligently. She's serving this stranger named Jesus, offering welcome, showing hospitality, you know, just, just in case of angels, you know, just in case. But even if just in case is good. Even though Martha's doing everything right, somehow she ends up getting the short end of the stick in this story. She looks up from her many tasks and sees Jesus and her sister just hanging out in the living room. Jesus is speaking. Martha can't really hear what he's saying. But she can see that Mary is slacking off, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening, while she's busy doing the responsible thing. Martha approaches Jesus. Don't you care? She asks that my sister's left me to do all the heavy lifting, preparing for your visit. Tell her to give me a hand. But Jesus doesn't seem to agree. Martha, he says. Martha, Martha. You know, Jesus is a, whenever Jesus says your name twice, he's going to teach you something, right? Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by so many things but there's only one thing that you need. Mary's chosen the good part, and it won't be taken from her. So Martha's done everything right, rolling out the red carpet, making everything perfect for this holy guest, but it's Mary, the slacker. I mean, I just picture, like, you know, hippies hanging out just, you know, down in by a grove or something, you know, not really doing anything productive. Mary's the one who gets all the accolades. Mary wins Jesus' approval, while Martha receives a rebuke from Jesus, no less. 
So Martha's missing out on something here, missing out on the good part, as Jesus says, that Mary has somehow chosen. Even though she's done everything right, she's done the biblical thing. The problem, though, is that even the right task for her has become a distraction. She's become so caught up in the task at hand that she's ignored the guest, Jesus, altogether, and hasn't been able to hear him. In her rush and single-minded drive to do the right thing, she ends up worried, missing the point of the visit altogether. Martha's problem is that her tasks, her service, have become an end in themselves. But even our best deeds are always temporary. For her service, her many tasks and duties have just become obligations, one of a list of many other to-dos. So Martha thinks that her worth in Jesus' presence is determined by what she does, what she can do, rather than by what Jesus can give her. That's the key part. As a result, she's completely bypassed Jesus. She's missed out on the good part, the one thing she needs. I mean, I like the original King James Version that says that Jesus gives Mary the, quote, one needful thing. You know, sounds very British. The one needful thing. Something that can't be taken away from her. She's been giving something that can't be taken away. So Martha misses out on something that can't be taken away. Like Martha, we know a bit about worry and distraction. We know something about missing out. I mean, every time, I mean, when I typed in, I was typing on Google and I typed in distraction and eight pictures of people just on phones. <laughs> just picked a, that's the first thing that anybody thought about when it came to distraction. Someone in our, described our modern culture as the age of distraction. Another says, as a society, we've fallen into something called the busy trap. And another going so far as saying we worship at the cult of busy. I recall seeing a movie, it's a Canadian movie actually, called Radiant City. If you're an indie film buff, I'm not, but somehow I saw this movie. Where a working mother of two living in a large Canadian city looks into the camera. And she describes this wall calendar she's created on a huge piece of white paper to keep track of all their family's activities. It really helps me to visualize our schedule, she says. The green stickers are swim lessons, the yellow ones are music lessons, red is soccer, black is my husband's work schedule, and so on and so on. And then so she finally shows us the schedule and we see the punchline that there isn't a single space, white space actually left on the calendar at all. It's covered completely in various sticky notes without a sliver of free time. We live in a fast-paced culture with hectic schedules, stressful careers, and incredible commuting demands on our time. Busyness is often seen as a mark of success or importance. It's always a good excuse. I'm sorry, I was so busy, I just couldn't get around to it. A friend of mine says that when somebody talks about how busy they are, they really mean, please think I am important. Please see me as productive. Might just be busy. 
I know I do it too. Busyness activity is seen as the measure of our worth, and like Martha, our hearts can be in the right place, and often we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to make a living, trying to provide what seem like the best opportunities and richest lives for ourselves, our children, and our families, and if we don't keep up, we worry we might just get left behind. But we end up meaning the thing, missing the things that truly count and bring us life. We miss out because we're caught up in our busyness. But where Mary is caught up, or Martha is caught up in her worries and many tasks, hoping to do the right thing, Mary is the one who, when Jesus is invited in, is able to give her attention. She's able to hear. And, you know, if you've heard this story before, you've probably heard it told in this particular way. I think we're mistaken if we think that this story is what about Martha is primarily about what Martha misses and what Mary gets. Uh, we shouldn't just hear this story as Mary giving the example of the right thing to do, because then Mary ends up with the same problem as Martha. You've heard the phrase, "Oh, she's a Martha, she's a Mary. One's a worker, one's contemplative," because. Mary might end up having the same problem. It's all about spending as much time as you can in study or contemplation, listening to Jesus, and leaving all the mundane worries at the side. I, I said in the weekly email, there's a great phrase that I saw, that everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. And there have been times in the history of the church where we've interpreted the faith as a list of obligations, a set to do, of do's and don'ts that might keep us out of the fire. For some folks growing up, church itself has been just one more obligation. Or on the flip side, we can turn social justice and activism as an end in itself, rather than something that flows out of faith. So the story isn't what about Martha doesn't do. It's not about what Mary does do. In the end, this story is about Jesus. And it's about who God is. It's all about what Jesus is offering to those who hear him. When Martha looks up and sees Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, she's looking at a disciple, a follower. Mary's been given an identity. And the identity she's been given by Jesus is the one needful thing, the thing that she needs the most. And it's no surprise, especially in the Gospel of Luke, because God is the one who dispenses extravagant and unreasonable grace to just about anyone you could think of under the sun. So much so that God's own life is given up through Jesus on the cross. Mary's been given the one needful thing, an identity, who she is, and it can't be taken away. So the good news is that following Jesus, the Christian life is not about how busy we are, about how many tasks we complete can complete, or about a list of accomplishments, whether they're spiritual or physical. 
no matter how worried or distracted our lives may be, we discover in this place, in this community, that our lives always begin at the feet of Jesus. The risen Christ, the one who is carrying us with him to Jerusalem on this Lenten journey. In our frantic culture of busyness and striving, where our worth is determined by what we do, how much money we make or how much we have, we discover that all of that is meaningless at the feet of Jesus. Our meaning is not derived by what we do, by our abilities or our productivity, but it is by who we are. But it's who we are that gives us our worth and our dignity. It's our baptismal identity as disciples, adopted as God's beloved children that gives us meaning and sets out our agendas for living. Our tasks, what we do, these things are actually given meaning by who we are, not the other way around. Our meaning is not given by what we do, by, by who we are. So, friends, though you are likely worried and distracted by many things, life is difficult, full of stress and anxiety, and the world is full of even crueler things, remember that there's only one needful thing. You are only in need of one thing. And you've been given that one thing at Jesus' feet. You didn't do anything. You couldn't do anything to receive it. Nothing to strive for. Pastor, please tell me what I got to do. Nothing to earn. It's a pure gift from God. You have been given grace, offered new life on the road to Jerusalem in the way of Jesus Christ. Hear that you have been given meaning, you have been given a life, you've been given a vocation as witnesses to God's extravagant love. The better part that Jesus says, which will not and can never be taken away. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.